So, first song we sang was Love Lifted Me. Um, and I, I didn't even pick the songs, which is fantastic because we're talking, I mean, I don't know if you can remember the words, but if you think about what, what those verses said, um, first verse says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Um, you know, you know what, you know, what's awesome about that is today, um, whoa, we're going to watch Peter sinking in the waves and we're going to watch Jesus reach down and pull him from the mess he's in, um, so I just love it whenever those things line up. And whenever we sing, I hope you all actually think about the words that we're saying. Um, I don't care whether it's hymns, contemporary music. I really don't care. I just hope you think about the words that we're saying. Um, that it's not just emotion that we go through, but instead as we're singing these words, you're actually contemplating, like, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth that I'm saying here? Um, I hope you actually think about those because if so, you see that a lot of these songs are just bathed in Scripture. And we're singing it back to God, praising him for what he's done. So um, just wanted to share that with you all. Um, but anyway, um, and one thing I should also tell you that I forgot to tell you earlier during announcement time because, well, I'm a knucklehead, was that uh, today, today we are responsible for the Tiffany Heights service. Um, so we're responsible up here at the Care Center. I plan to be there about 2 o'clock. If anybody would like to join me, you are welcome to join me for the service at Tiffany Heights Care Center today um, at 2 o'clock. You can just show up or you can let me know. Either way, I'm going to be there at 2 o'clock. I'd love it if anybody wanted to come with me and just uh, uh, love the residents there. So that's that. Now, I have a question for you all. How many of you are football fans? Some of you, some of you are like, I just don't care. I don't care about football, Jared. I get it. Okay. Well, I thought this would be fun. I thought this would be fun because I know not everybody agrees on this and uh, sports are, are, are amazing because not only, do they, not only do they bring people together like the camaraderie of sports, but they also divide people in a really unique way. Um, so I thought this would be fun. I thought this would be fun. I, so I want to take a poll since a lot of you said you like football. I would like to know who your favorite team is. So I'm going to take a poll and I'm just going to list some teams off here. Um, and if you're, if you're a fan... Even if you don't want to admit it, would you please raise your hand? Like, just acknowledge that you're a fan of these teams, and we'll, we'll move on. You'll see why this matters here in just a minute. Okay, so quick poll. How many of you are Broncos fans? Yeah, I knew they were here. <laughs> I didn't ask for the wooing, um, but how many of you are Raiders fans? Oh, nobody. Oh, good for you guys. Okay. Alliance fans. Any Lions fans? Yeah, I knew you were here, so I thought I would throw that out there. Um, anyway, I told you I thought about you this week. There you go. Um, anyway, Lions fans. Now, I always think this is interesting. There are always Packers fans somewhere. There's always a Packers fan. Yeah, okay, I knew there would be at least one in the room because Packers fans are everywhere. It's the wildest thing. So I knew there would be somebody. Um, now, I know I'm missing an obvious one here, so we'll get to that in just a minute. But am I missing any teams? Like, any... Sorry? No other teams matter. I agree. Uh, okay. How about Chiefs fans in the room? Yeah. All right. Good. Okay. Okay. Now, I know that there are also some people, and I'm not going to name names yet. I will here in a minute. <laughs> um, so how many of you are just fans of your fantasy football teams? That would be me. 
that would be me. Now, don't get me wrong. If we're talking about real football, I'm a Chiefs fan. But uh, if we're talking about who my favorite team is, it's Team Domination Station, managed by me. Um, so, anyway, uh, real football, of course, I'm a Chiefs fan. And if that's not you, if you are not a Chiefs fan, it's okay. You can always come up and repent after the service. Um, that's all good. Um, you will be absolved. Obviously, that's sarcasm or else that's heresy. So, you all get it. Okay. Um, so, I brought all this up because Thursday night, uh, Thursday night, Steph and I were sitting in uh, our living room. Kids were in bed. Um, they had just gone to bed. She was working on some stuff, sitting over. You know, y- y'all have seats in your couch or on, on, in your living room, in your living area that you sit in. Like, I'm sitting in my chair. She's sitting over on the couch where she usually sits, right? So we have our seats, and we're there. And she was working on some things because um, usually I would be gracious enough to, well, if you want to watch something else, we don't have to watch football. But, you know, she was working on something, so I turned on the football game, the Thursday night football game. Um, so I'm sitting there watching this, and uh, Steph was working on her stuff. And I have to admit, I got a little bit irritated. Got a little bit irritated. And some of you are like, yeah, I get irritated wherever I watch football too. Um, Now, I got a little bit irritated because there was some big thing that kept getting promoted about a Taylor Swift album, okay? Um, (laughs) My wife's giving me the look already because she knows where I'm going. Um, Anyway, I started to get irritated because there was this promotion for a Taylor Swift album, and it kept coming up. And, like, if you like Taylor Swift, whatever. I don't care. I don't like Taylor Swift, like, at all. Like, not interested, don't care about her music. I want something that's a little bit edgy. I like rock music, okay? So there we go. So if you like Taylor Swift, though, good for you. I don't care. Whenever I turn on a football game, though, I don't care about Taylor Swift. Like, I just don't. Um, And I think most people are like me. Um, If you are turning on a football game, you're turning it on to watch these 300-pound mammoths run into each other at full speed and watch the collisions, right? That's what you turn football on for. You want to see this display of sheer physical power. Um, One of my favorite segments, they don't actually even do it anymore. It used to be on the Monday Night Countdown. They would do this segment called Jacked Up. Okay, any of you remember that segment? Some of you do. Some of you don't want to admit it. It was my favorite. They quit doing it because it was too violent. Um, But it was my favorite. And the whole point was, these guys, they just got completely lit up. Like, coming across the middle usually is where it happened. But there was this monster collision and somebody get knocked out. And they're like, well, we don't want to celebrate that anymore. Whatever. Okay, that was one of my favorite things because it was this display of force, this display of power. And that's what I wanted to see. I don't care about the Taylor Swift stuff. I wanted to see this this physical power on display. Steph got irritated with me because I kept whining about it. Now I'm doing it on a Sunday morning too. So, yeah. Um, Anyway. Steph told me I need to get over it, but I'm a baby, so here we are. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? I think that there's something in us, um, something about us, and this isn't anything new. NFL is just the new mode that this is taken on. Um, but there's something in us that likes to see this display of sheer physical force. There's something in us that likes to see that. We want to see this power on display. Um, And I kept getting irritated because there was something that got in the way of that. There was something that got in the way of this display of power. Now, today, the reason I bring this up is because I don't, if you like football, great. If you don't, I I don't, okay, fine, that's fine too. I'm not really worried about it. Today, what I want us to see is Jesus' power on display. And how some of these other things, they come in and they get in the way and they distract us from this display of power that Jesus has. He has power far greater from anything these linebackers have in the NFL. Like they have nothing compared to King Jesus. So what we need to understand is what, that we need to push the distractions aside. Push the distractions away so we can focus on his power. 
on, <coughs> on his preeminence. That's what we want to see. And that's what I want us to look at today. So today, um, I want us to look and see certain traits that we need to trust in that we need to focus on, that we need to understand about who Jesus is if we want to see his power. Now understand, you cannot make Jesus do anything. That's just a, a fact. You can't make Jesus do anything. You can't make God do anything. Okay, God is God. He's going to do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, where he wants, how he wants. God is in charge. But what we can do is position ourselves to see him more clearly. We want to see him more clearly. Now, if you're content with the distracting fluff of, that the world wants to throw at you, well, I suppose you can do that, but you're just missing out because there is a display of power in Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. I kind of had in my mind I would give you a, a, a warning. You know, how many of you all have seen the air quality like this, the dust floating everywhere? Y'all, so if I'm coughing, I apologize. That's what's going on. So the point is we need to trust in Jesus and who he is, and then we can see real, true power. Okay, so I would like it if we could read God's word together. Would you stand with me out of respect for reading God's word? Um, we're going to be reading Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, um, verse 13 to 36. Again, a long section, but I would like to see if we could cover this today. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. And as always, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by, by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to shore at Gennesaret. When the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for this time that we can come together around your word, that we can open this word and we can see who you are. We can see your power on display. Lord, today I pray that you would help us to push aside all the distractions, all the fluff of the world, all the stuff that might get in the way or, or just beg for our attention. Lord, I pray instead we would have a single focus, that we would want to see Jesus, that we would want to see you and your power and your preeminence over everything else. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to see you in your word, through your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to teach us today. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Again, what we want to see is Christ's power. And we see that power when we trust in who he is. So that's what I want us to look at. I want us to see who he is. I want to see these different aspects of who he is so that we might be able to see his power more clearly. And the first thing that we see here is that we see Christ's power when we trust in his compassion. We see Christ's power when we trust in his compassion. So we picked up in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard about it. Now, what is he hearing about? What is he hearing about? Well, if we go back, um, instantly, whenever I started thinking about this, I thought, well, he heard about John's execution. And I think that's part of this. Um, but really, if we look at that, that's kind of, a, um, kind of this ellipsis. It's this, this section here where it's kind of this, this other thought. Okay, And really where we need to go, instead of going back to verse 12, we need to go back to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14 to see what Jesus is hearing about. And what he's hearing about here is, is Herod and this, this paranoia he has about what he presumes is a resurrected John the Baptist who has these new miraculous powers because of this resurrection. So he, Jesus hears about Herod's paranoia and what he's doing as a result. So when Jesus hears about it, it says that he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Is he just running away for the sake of running away or is he actually doing something? Uh, I would continue. He's doing something. And he's doing something that uh, if I'm just being totally transparent, I I'm not good at this. I I'm not good at this thing that he's doing here. See, Jesus, he's practicing a discipline that we got to discuss as a, as a small group here a while back as we went through this book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And we talked about some of the disciplines as Christians that we should engage in so that we can know Christ uh, more deeply. Um, and really, what he's practicing is silence and solitude. He needs to be by himself. Um, now, we all know Jesus was a busy guy, right? If you don't know, go read the Bible and you'll see Jesus was a busy guy. He had a lot going on. He had people who were draining on his time almost all the time. People always vying for his attention, for his affections. People always wanting to be closer to Jesus. And, and it was. Now, I'm not saying it was just a bad thing that they were wanting to be close to Jesus. That was good for them. But it was. It, Jesus had limited time while he was here on earth. So they were clamoring for more of his time. And we believe that Jesus, while completely God, he was also a man. He was a man. He took on flesh, which means, I don't know if you all are like this, but sometimes I need rest. You all ever need rest? I think you probably do. Jesus needed rest. He needed time to be alone with his father. And that's going to happen again here in verse 23. We're going to see him trying to get alone with his father. Um, but we see it other places in the New Testament also, where Jesus just wants to pull away for some time so that he might have time to recharge himself, so that he might have time of prayer and time of rest. Now, Jesus practiced this discipline, one that I think we would all be well to, uh, we would all do well to practice uh, this silence and solitude. And like I've already admitted, I'm not good about finding time just to be alone and to be quiet and be alone and just pray. Like, I'm not, I'm not the best at this. I could do better. 
And I'm sure I'm not alone because we live in a day where everything is so busy, everything is so loud, everything wants your attention, and that stinking cell phone goes off 24-7, and you never have time just to sit and be alone with your God. We need to make time, schedule time to be alone with God. And Jesus is practicing this here. I'm quoting from Donald Whitney, who wrote that book I mentioned just a moment ago. This is a long quote, but I would like to read it. He said, when we consider it in light light of Scripture... We realize that it would be neither right nor desirable to be cloistered from our God-given privileges and responsibilities involving other people. In other words, what he's saying is it's good that we have responsibility involving other people. He says, biblical reality calls us to family, fellowship, evangelism, ministry, and other aspects of life in the local church for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And yet, sometimes our souls crave separation from noise and crowds into silence and solitude. Just as we must engage with others for some of the disciplines of the Christian life, so there are times when we must temporarily withdraw into the disciplines of silence and solitude. And I think Whitney says that really well. While there are certainly times we need to be involved with others, and that's not a bad thing, it's good to be around others. I'm glad you all are here today and you're not just home alone. Like, I'm glad you're here. This is good that we can get together as the body, that we can encourage one another, that we can come together around who Jesus is and around God's word. Like we need this, but at the same time, there are times where our souls just crave to be alone with our maker. And we need to practice this discipline. And Jesus is doing so here. And then we get to the last part of verse 13. It says, when the crowds heard this, that Jesus had withdrawn, Jesus had gone away by himself, the crowds hear it, and they follow him on foot from their towns. You know, Jesus couldn't get away. Jesus could not escape the crowds. He tried. Everyone wanted to see this miracle-working prophet from Nazareth, this guy who has been healing the sick, who has raised the dead. Like, they want to see this guy. They want to be closer. So they follow him from their towns. And in verse 14, I believe we get the main thrust of this section. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Now, he's going to go on here in just a minute, but stay with me. Now, Jesus, trying to get away from the crowd, he goes in a boat, goes a little ways away, And as they come, people follow him. They are so tenacious that they follow him on foot from their towns to a deserted place. Now, if I'm Jesus, which I'm certainly not, but if I were Jesus here, I would be irritated. I would probably get mad. And I think many of you are probably like me. Look, Jesus has been with the crowds. He has been talking to the crowds. He's been teaching the crowds. He has been healing the sick. He has been casting out demons. He's been doing all of these things, focusing on people, and he just wants some time alone. Now, if this is me, and I see people starting to follow me, I'm going to be saying stuff like, would you just give me a minute to breathe? Like, just go away for a while. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus, because what he does is very different. Verse 14 continues. It says, he saw them, and then he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. See, we don't know what these people know about Jesus. And it really doesn't matter. They may not have known much about Jesus, but they have heard something of his power. They maybe have even seen it. But one thing that they know is that Jesus has compassion. And whenever he sees them, whenever he sees them, he'll have compassion on them. And that's what he does here. He sees the people, has compassion on them, heals their sick. But that's not the end of the compassion that he shows here. Instead, it continues. Verse 15. We find it's starting to get late now because he spent all this time healing the sick, had these people coming to him, and the disciples come, and they're worried about the people having food to eat. So he says, send them away so they can go buy themselves a meal. Um, And in verse 16, Jesus tells the disciples to feed these uninvited guests who were also a drain on their time and their energy and their resources. I mean, think about that if you're the disciples. Now Jesus is saying, no, you feed them. 
There's thousands of people around. You go feed them. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? No, we don't have what it takes to do this. And they actually say as much. Right? There's the pragmatic issue in verse 17. They say, we don't have much here. We only have five loaves and two fish. I'm going to steal from another preacher because I thought this was really funny. Um, I heard a preacher call this a Hebrew Happy Meal. Um, I thought, oh, that's clever. Or a Levitical Lunchable. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's good. I'm going to steal that. So I don't even remember who it was. Um, but I thought that was clever. So all they have is this Hebrew Happy Meal. They got these five loaves and two fish. Now, a uh, quick side note that I think is worth just touching on briefly. Why five and two? Why five loaves and two fish? Um, I've, I've read a lot of authors and a few who try to ascribe some theological significance to the numbers five and two. Uh, my opinion, the reason it's five and two is because they had five loaves and two fish. That's why it says that. Um, I think that that's exactly why he says it. There's five loaves, two fish. That's why they say five loaves and two fish. I don't believe that there's any underlying theological significance. It's just an accurate book, accurate retelling. So there you go. That's just fun. I love those things. Verse 18, <clears throat> Jesus says, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Listen, no matter how little you think you have, here's how I want to encourage you. Take it to Jesus. Like It's really not about what you have. Um, it's more about who he is and what he can do with what you have. Um, Last week, we actually, or I guess it wasn't last week, it was the last week we were in the book of Ruth. Last week we were in the book of Ruth together. I, I, I think I mentioned to you all that Jesus doesn't want you for what you can offer. It has nothing to do with what you can offer. Jesus wants you because he wants you. Now the truth is, whenever you bring him what little you have, he can multiply it. Um, yeah, I'm just going to tell you my story. Um, so, most of you all know me pretty well by now. Um, I don't have a lot to offer, and that's just, like, some of you are going to be like, oh, Jared, you're just being humble. No, really, I just know what I, what I am and who I am. I don't, I'm not that, I'm not like God's gift of preaching or anything. Like, I'm not a great orator. As a matter of fact, um, I, I always think it's funny that I preach in front of a room of more than 100 people every week now, because if we rewind, um, let's just go back 15 years, um, where I'm coming out of high school and uh, going to college, and at that point, and my wife and my parents, my brother, they'll all attest to this. I couldn't have done what I do today. There is no way I could have stood in front of you, I guess sat in front of you, and opened God's word and spoke. I just couldn't have. Um, and my college speech professor would agree, uh, by the way. Um, I failed that course um, because I couldn't speak in front of people. I would stutter. I would stammer. I, would, I wasn't able to articulate what I needed to say. I just couldn't do it. And the funny thing is, um, I, some of you are going to judge me here for just a moment. Um, I used to sell cars. Okay, whatever. Um, whenever I started selling cars, I learned that whenever I got nervous, I got a country accent. <laughs> don't know where it came from. I went deep south, and I don't know why. Um, but it just came up. Like, I got this accent, and I don't know why. Uh, it just happened. So anyway, so maybe that's why I say y'all still. But anyway, just, it just came out, and I don't know why. And I remember when I first preached, I thought, I can't do this. No way I can do this. Like, I'm not saying I'm a great preacher today. Y'all, just so you know, there are better preachers than Jared Allen out there. Um, mind blown. Um, but what I know is I couldn't have done this apart from God taking the little bit I had and multiplying it. Now, am I saying that if you're not a good public speaker and you take it to God, you're going to become a preacher? No, that's not what I'm saying. 
what I'm saying is, I didn't have much to offer, but the little bit that I had, I gave over to Jesus. And he multiplied it and used it. And he's doing something with that that I couldn't have done on my own. That's what I know. Um, So that's my story. Um, He can take whatever you have and he can do something incredible with it, even when you think this is nothing. Five loaves, two fish fed thousands. That was not enough. But Jesus made something out of nothing. Okay? So I just want to encourage you, whatever you have. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm not doing that because I don't want to be a preacher. And I get it. Um, But... Take what you have to Christ. Take it to him, and he can multiply it beyond your wildest imagination. Okay? So give him your gifts. Give him your talents. Give him yourself and see what he does with it. And here, whenever he gets these five loaves, two fish, he takes it, he lifts it up, he blesses it, which was normal for the head of a Jewish household at this time. Before a meal, that's what they would do. They would bless it, usually holding it up ahead of time. But then he allows his disciples to be a part of this blessing, uh, uh, blessing the people. He allows his disciples to be a part of it. These disciples, they just, they're like, send them away. And Jesus says, no, you're going to serve them. He says, you're going to be a part of blessing these thousands of people. You who have nothing to offer, you are going to be a part of blessing them. See, Jesus doesn't go out and serve all of these thousands of people by himself, does he? No, he breaks the pieces. He takes the little bit that was there, gives it to them, and then allows them to go out and be a blessing to these people, to serve this crowd. (laughs) Jesus allowed his compassion for the crowd to be evident through his followers. He showed it through his followers. Listen, church, that could be us. You realize that, right? Let me say that different. It should be us. We should be blessing those around us, not because we're good or we have something to offer, but because Jesus is good and he works through us. He allows us to participate in what he's doing. This is us. We need to be the vehicle for God to express his compassion to the world. We see it happen here with the disciples. And notice that as they ate, it says that everyone ate and was satisfied. And then the disciples, they go out and they're like, okay, well, we're not going to let this go to waste. Let's go pick up the leftover pieces. And how many baskets full were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Okay. So what you're telling me is that there was enough leftover. Even after this giant crowd had eaten, there was still enough for these people who were serving. Yeah, more than enough. I don't think they needed a whole basket full. They collected it and there was still enough left for them. Look, whenever you serve, even whenever you give away your, even whenever you're giving away your time, your energy, you're doing what God has told you to do to show your compassion, I promise you that there's always enough good stuff left for you. Jesus isn't going to run out. Like, well, I don't know. We serve 5,000. I don't know if we, I don't know if Jesus could serve 5,000 in one. Oh no, there's more than enough left over here. Jesus had such compassion that not only did he heal their sick, he also provided for the needs of more than 5,000 men plus whatever women and children were there. And I've read estimates that put this up between 15 and 20,000 people at this event. And Jesus had compassion on them and fed them, met their needs. The point is, if we trust in God's compassion, that he has compassion on those in need, and then we let him work in and through us, we can see his power on display. I think we can still see that today. Look, you may never be able to meet the needs of those around you. And you may be looking around thinking, I don't know how I'm going to help these people. Well, give what you have. Even if it doesn't seem like much. And watch what God can do with it. And I, I know that we will still see his power as we trust in his compassion for those around us. Okay? So we see Christ's power whenever we trust in his compassion. Second, we see Christ's power when we trust in his primacy. Okay? Um, you could have put that as supremacy, whatever, um, or just that he's first. 
greater than anything else. Okay, that's what I mean whenever I say primacy. Verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So it says that Jesus made the disciples go. Now, this word made, it's, a, it's actually in the, in the Greek. It's a very strong word. It's not just like, well, okay, why don't you guys go ahead? No, it means that he compelled them to go. He's, he forced them. Like, you guys, go I'm going to dismiss the crowds. You go ahead. Now, why this strong language? Why did Jesus send the disciples ahead? Why didn't he have them go dismiss the crowds? Why didn't he have them participate in that part of the work? Well, I think the answer is twofold. First, because he knew that the disciples needed rest too. These were also men who had been working, who had been serving the needs of thousands of people here. They had been busy. They needed rest also. So he said, you know what, why don't you guys go ahead and rest like a good leader. I believe a good leader is going to work harder than anybody that's following him. So like a good leader, he says, why don't you guys go ahead, go rest. I got this. And Jesus takes the responsibility himself. Second reason I think he does this is because it's going to give him an opportunity to be alone, which is what he was desiring earlier, right? Time to be alone with his father. So he sends them away so that he can go spend time alone with God before he catches up with his disciples. So he dismisses the crowds, and then he did just that. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And he does this well into the night. All right. Um, Next time you think you don't have time to pray, or you think you don't have time for silence and solitude, um, see what Jesus did here? Jesus stayed up well into the night, Because he knew that time alone with God was more important than even sleep. He knew that time with God was more important. So he said, I'm going to stay up. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to go be alone with my father. So that's what he did. And we find that he's alone there. It says until the fourth watch in most translations. If you read the CSB, it says till early morning. Um, And this would have been between 3 and 6 a.m. most likely. Okay, so between 3 and 6 a.m. And you know what I'm usually doing between 3 and 6 a.m.? I'm sleeping, okay? So that's what I'm doing, all right? And of course, the disciples, they're out here on this boat, and it says that they're starting to have some difficulty because the wind is against them, all right? Now, the winds come up, stirs the sea, and the disciples look out, and they see, walking on the sea, what appears to be a person. Okay, (laughs) what do they do? What would they do? They say, oh, good, Jesus, you're here, and you're going to calm the storm for us. Oh, great. Perfect timing, Jesus. Y'all caught that, right? That's not at all what it says. It says that they're freaking out. They're losing their minds here because not only are they out here on the middle of the sea, they're out here on the sea, winds blowing against them, waves picking up, and now it's the middle of the night, so it's dark out here, and they look out and they see what appears to be a person walking on the water. Just so y'all know, people don't walk on water. Um, despite what my son will try to convince you, he cannot walk on water. And some of you, he's actually made that argument very forcefully that he could walk on water. He cannot, okay? People do not walk on the water. They don't. Jesus did. So, if you're sleep deprived, you're out here on this boat, everything going crazy, you look out and you see what appears to be a guy, are you going to think, oh yeah, oh well there's just another guy walking on the water? Of course not. So let's not be too harsh with the disciples here because... They tried to make sense out of what they were seeing. And they say, well, it must be a ghost. Must be a ghost. So they cry out in fear. Not only because of the winds and the waves, but now they're seeing this thing out on the water. So they cry out in fear. But what almost always happens is you're reading the Bible and somebody cries out in fear. What almost always happens? You hear something to the effect of fear not. Fear not. 
And Jesus spoke to them in verse 27. He says, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus commands the fear to leave them. He commands them to not be afraid. Now, in the middle of this, have courage, don't be afraid statement, there's a really interesting line, and I just want to touch on this briefly, because really what we're finding is Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh. And we may miss this if we just read it real quick and we fly past this. Um, so what I want to do is I want to look at the Greek just, just briefly here with this, this, middle, this middle sentence, okay? Um, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. This it is I is really, in the Greek, it's two words. The first one is ego, okay? This word ego, right? And I'm not talking about waffles. Ego in the Greek is, it's a pronoun. It means I. It's me, okay? So we see ego, and then the second word in the sentence is emi, all right? Emi, um, which means to be. That's, that is the sentence here in the Greek. I, be, and you know what another version of the word be is? Am. Jesus says, don't be afraid, because I am. Okay. Now, have, does that sound familiar to you at all? Like, at all? Who else said, I am? Well, that would be God, right? You go back to the Old Testament, and you see where God's talking to Moses. And he says, and Moses is scared because he's getting ready to go before Pharaoh, and he says, what about whenever, or really, he's getting ready to go back in front of the other Israelites and say, God has sent me to you. And he says, who do I say, what is the name of this God? And he says, tell them, I am sent you. God has identified himself as I am from clear back in the Old Testament. Like the time of Moses, he has said, I am. That's what Yahweh means. It's the one who is. He just is. The one who is, was, always will be. That's who God is. And here in the middle of this, this scene where they're out here on the water, they see this thing that looks like a man telling them not to be afraid. And then he says, I am. Like just think about the significance of that short little statement. It may not seem like much, but understand, Jesus is claiming, I'm God. I'm the one who commands the winds and the waves. I'm the one who has control over all of this. I am God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of that. So he makes, it, makes this claim, but then it gets even better. Because in verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if, and this if, by the way, in the Greek is kind of like since. It's not really questioning. It's more of a statement. So he says, Lord, if it's you... Command me to come to you on the water. Now, think about how bold a statement that is from Peter. Like, again, people don't walk on water. And Peter says, Lord, since that's you, let me come to you. Let me walk to you on the water. Peter says, let me do the impossible with you. And Jesus, in verse 29, says, come. One word, just come. So Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on water. What in the world? Again, that's not possible. Peter is doing the impossible. And why is he doing the impossible? Because he's trusting in Jesus' primacy. He's trusting that Jesus has power over everything. He's trusting that Jesus is divine, that he does what he couldn't have done on his own. Peter is trusting in Jesus, focused on him, wanting to be near to him. Now, this is either the most incredible illusion ever or Peter just did what only God would allow him to do. Verse 30, we catch this, this word. It says, but, see, there's a catch. See, whenever Peter saw the strength of the wind, he became afraid. See, Peter allowed his circumstances, what was going on around him, to distract him from seeing Jesus' power. He allowed the distractions to show them his, their power instead of focusing on Jesus. See, even whenever you try to follow Jesus, I want you to understand that the world around you is going to get loud. 
Actually, I'm going to say that different because I think it, it, it's bigger than that. When you follow Jesus, the, the world around you is going to turn the volume up. You're following Jesus. What, what Satan wants, he knows. He, okay, so I, wherever you stand on the theological spectrum, I don't care. If you're following after Jesus, like nothing's going to take you from Jesus. Jesus has power over everything else. So if nothing else, what, what can the world do? What can Satan do? Well, turn up the volume to distract you and make you ineffective and inefficient. See, here, Peter. Peter is distracted. He sees how loud everything around him could do, and he took his eyes off Jesus and allowed the distractions to show their power, to show what they were. Now, understand, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And whenever we trust in Jesus as prime, as first, as superior to everything, we can see his power. Now, before, again, before you call Peter a dummy for sinking, look at the last part of verse 30 because it gets good. Peter starts sinking because he sees the distractions all around him. And the first thing he does is he cries out, Lord, save me. Even whenever he knew he had messed up, I looked at the distractions and now I'm in trouble. Like I screwed things up. Where does he turn? Back to Jesus. It cries out for him. Not, well, I messed up. I suppose I'm going to try to swim up this wave by myself. No, he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, save me. See, in this moment, in this moment, when Peter had need, he looked back to Jesus. And then in this passage, it's actually really incredible because Peter is both portrayed as, as a good example and a bad example, all in this same thing. Okay? Not only does he have the faith to say, Jesus, let me walk to you, and then he has the faith to say, look, Lord, I'm in trouble, please save me. Not only does he have the faith to do both those things, he also messes up and he looks at the distractions and starts to sink. He's a good example and a bad example, all in this same passage. But one thing we know is that Peter demonstrates his faith, and whenever he cried out, Jesus reached out, and he caught a hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's expression of faith, however weak, was still enough that he got pulled back up. However weak, however immature, however desperate, Peter knew if I cry out to Jesus, he'll pull me back. Pull me back. And that's what happened. And then Jesus urged him to grow. And it's here that they get in the boat, the wind cease, and those in the boat, they recognized Jesus' primacy. They recognized his power, and it says that they worshiped him. And just to be clear, whenever we see Jesus' power, his primacy, we will respond in worship. And that's what we should do, saying, like they did, truly you are the Son of God. Now, I don't know that they knew exactly what they were saying at that point. Um, one thing I do think they know is they saw God's power on display. As a result of that, they worship Jesus. They worship him. So no matter how immature you think your faith is, no matter how weak you think your faith is, turn to Jesus, cry out for help, and then worship him because he has power. Okay? So we see Christ's power whenever we trust in his compassion. <clears throat> we see his power whenever we trust in his primacy. And then finally, we see Christ's power whenever we trust in his willingness. Okay? When they had crossed over, they came to the shores of this place called Gennesaret. And Jesus, his fame was apparently enough that the people of this place, they recognized him. They recognized him, and they started spreading the word, hey, Jesus is here. This, this miracle-working prophet from over in Nazareth, he's here now. Okay, So they started bringing all of their sick, and in verse 36, it says that they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe, and as many as touched it were healed. The people apparently knew what Jesus was capable of. They knew what he was capable of. They knew that he had power. They'd seen him do some incredible things already, and they came to him pleading for him to do more, and Jesus did. And he did. Look, I'm going to be pretty brief here, both because I'm running out of time and two, because I don't think I need to hammer this too much more. I think you might get the point already. Um, but we need to look for his willingness. See, I've had the privilege of, uh, as a pastor, as a Christian, as just a brother and sis, 
as a brother in Christ, like I've, I've had the opportunity. I know I almost said brother and sister. I'm not a brother and sister. Y'all know I'm just a brother. Um, yeah, I know. I saw some of you smirk whenever I almost said that. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I am a brother, just so y'all know. Um, no question about that. Um, but I've had the privilege of praying with and praying over brothers and sisters in Christ um, who are going through some things. I've had the privilege of praying, and I really mean that that is a privilege. Um, some of you are here. Some of you, some of them are not here. So anyway, one of the things that I, I always pray, and you've probably heard me pray this before if you've been in any of those settings, um, something to the effect of this. It's, God, I know you're able to do this. Like, I know you're able to heal. I know you're able to move. I know you're able um, or so I would ask that you would be willing. Um, a lot of times we say, God, would you do this? And what we're saying is, God, just we ask that you would be able to do this or something to that effect. We know we can. If we know the power that he's expressed, like in my life, like I know he's, he's raised me from the dead, y'all. Um, I was dead in my sin and he made me alive. I know the power Jesus has. Um, the question isn't whether he can or cannot. The question is, will you? Will you? It's not a question of ability. It's a question of willingness. So here, these people come and they beg Jesus. They say, Lord, please, please, we need you. We know our inability. We know that we can't do this. We say, God, we trust that you're willing to do what we're asking. So they come and ask for his willingness. Now, what I will not say is that anytime you come and say, God, this is what we want, we believe you can, now please be willing. I'm not going to say he's going to do everything you ask. Um, and I thank God that he hasn't done everything that I've asked him to do. And I've been over that too many times, I don't need to hammer that again. Um, but whenever we come and we pray and we say, God, I, I, here's what I want, now I pray that you would be willing, he will answer the prayer you pray. Maybe not always in the way you expect him to or the way that you want him to, but I can promise you that God will answer the prayer. So come to him, ask him to work, trust that he's able, pray that he's willing, but then watch him do incredible things. Sometimes even bigger things than what you had in mind. Uh, not just sometimes, I would say oftentimes bigger than what we had in mind. Um, God is able. And whenever we trust that he's willing, we'll see his power on display. Okay, so what? Well, um, I'm just going to give you a, I'm going to foreshadow the next few weeks just a little bit. We're going to celebrate Christ's supremacy, his supremacy, that he is first, that he is supreme over all things. We're going to celebrate that over the next few weeks as a church. Um, we're going to say that Jesus is greater than anything else, everything else. And if we believe it, all of our fears tend to fade to the background. Because whenever we're focused on Jesus and his power, why would we be scared of anything else? Like we're talking about the guy who walked out of a tomb, like the guy who was dead and now he's alive. Like, we're talking about that guy. Why would we be scared of anything? What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, we could die. Okay, well, the guy who beat death is on our side. Why should we be afraid of anything? And whenever we focus on the fact that Jesus is prime, that he is first, we should not be scared of anything. Now, I also know that our flesh is going to tempt us to be scared of this or that, or our minds, our anxieties are going to come up, but I promise you that Jesus is greater. And whenever we are focused on him, those things tend to fade to the background. Those things tend to fade to the background. And whenever we see that kind of power, we respond by worshiping. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to worship Jesus, that he is greater than everything, and we're going to thank him for that. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be praying for his compassion. I just told you on November 6th, we're going to be praying for the persecuted church. Um, 
And I'm very thankful that our mission team has, has put that together, that they've contacted and said that they wanted to pray for this, this persecuted church around the world. So, yes, I'm very thankful that they were willing to do that. But we're going to pray that he would see those in need, those people who have very real needs, brothers and sisters around the world who need help. And we're going to ask God. We're going to pray that God would intervene. But I would also encourage you to begin to ask, how can I be the agent through which God works in these areas? Like, again, the disciples, the disciples were there. And they said, God, we can't do this on our own. We can't take care of these people. But God worked through them. So as we begin to pray that God would show his compassion to the world, I would also encourage you, begin asking, God, how can you use me as the vehicle to show your compassion to those around me? So let's start thinking about how God might work through us. Be praying, asking God to show us how he expects us to move. And we're going to be praying for his willingness, trusting that he is I am, that he is God, the one who is, the one who was, the one who always will be, trusting that that's who he is and that he loves his children and wants good things for them and he will work. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. How do we respond? We trust in Christ's compassion. We trust in his primacy. We trust in his willingness. Now that's easy to say, but I know it's hard to do. So I just want to leave you with this last, last line. I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And here Paul writes, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. You, you all hear that, right? God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that as we, as we read this word, we can see your power on display that we can see that you have compassion on those in need. Or that we can see that you are stronger, that you are greater, that you are far above anything this world has. Lord, and while you are that powerful, you are also willing. Um, Lord, you're willing to heal us. You're, will, you're willing to be there for us, to show your compassion on us. Um, Lord, to show us that you are greater than everything else. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to trust that um, and that we might see your power on display in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Lord, I pray for the coming weeks. I pray um, not just for us as a church, but also for us as individuals. I pray that you would help us to really focus in on who you are. And as we see your power, as we see who you are, I pray that you would help us to respond rightly by worshiping you by just celebrating the fact that you rose from the dead and because of that, we can be raised with you. Lord, help us to really truly believe that you are prime. Um, Lord, and I also want to pray for us as a church and for us as individuals that we would begin to think through how we could serve you, how we could be used by you and to serve those around us. Lord, knowing that there's going to be more than enough left for us, that you have something good in store for us also. Um, so Lord, help us, I pray, to trust in your power and your compassion, and your primacy, and your willingness. Um, Father, and I also want to pray for those who haven't ever really truly seen your power. Um, Lord, I pray that it would start with salvation. That they would see that they are the one, um, that those, those who don't know you, that they would see that they're the ones who need you the most because we were dead in our trespasses. But, Lord, we know that by faith in Jesus we can be made alive. So I pray that you would call many to repentance and to salvation. And then you would allow us to be a part of the work that you're doing. And Lord, we thank you that you are willing to answer these prayers. 
And we pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen.